We are in a series, and it's called uh, Come, Let Us Adore Him. We are going through an Advent book that's a 31-day devotional. How many of you guys were able to grab that devotional? How many households uh, this last week and have started going through it? If you did not get one, we ran out of them because uh, so many people have wanted one. But we got more on order, and they will be here Wednesday. So if you did... if. Your household did not get one of the books. Make sure you let Elizabeth know at the info table so she can take your name down and she'll call you when those come in. If you're unable to swing by the office, we will bring you the book, okay? Because the idea is that we're doing this as a family. This is a time for us to get on the same page and, and just kind of gather together, even though maybe you know each day we're not in the same house, but we know that we're all kind of diving in on that. And then on the realm every day, someone posts kind of what they got out of, the, out of that devotional. Now, in the past, we've been doing chapters, like where we read one chapter a day, and then someone writes kind of their devotional thought on that chapter. We're kind of doing this different because it's a little weird to write a devotional about a devotional that's written about scripture. You know, it's kind of like, how long do you keep writing devotionals on devotionals? So what we're doing is we're writing, hey, this is, this is something that stood out to me in the devotional, but then kind of asking the question, and so you can get on the realm and comment about something that stood out to you personal. This is a time for us not to think about society or to think about what we think our neighbor or someone in our family needs to change. This is a time for us to reflect on ourselves and look at that. So uh, it's a great way for us to gather in that way. So Today, what we're doing is, today is December 6th. Everyone in agreement on that? Probably the one thing we're going to agree on today is today is December 6th. Uh, we are going to be looking at December 6th through the 12th, which is what this week, what we'll be reading through the journal and um, in the devotional time there and kind of looking at, I'm going to highlight some of the main points that, that, that uh, we're going to be looking at this week. But as we do that, I want to ask this question. This is a question to consider, something for you to keep in your mind as we go through this message. What expectations do you have for Jesus coming into your current circumstances, right where you are, what your life looks like, what's taking place, your feelings, your emotions, your comforts, all of those things, what expectations do you have for Jesus coming into your current circumstances and whose kingdom do they build? You know, at the time when Jesus was being born, leading up to that for years, hundreds of years, there had been prophecies, there had been declarations about a savior was gonna come. Now, you and I, just like people back then, we all, there's semantics. We define things in our own way. And we also have different expectations of what it looks like. You know, uh, I think of, I don't know how many of you have maybe, whether gone on a vacation where you anticipated and you expected what the vacation would look like, how you would feel, the refreshment that it would bring, the joy that it would bring. Many times our vacations do not go the way that we plan them to go. Anybody here ever had a vacation where you thought, you know, you're going to this amazing place, you're going to relax. Your mind, you, you have all these expectations of what's going to happen and how good it's going to be for you and how much everybody that is going with you, if you're taking people with you on this vacation, how much they're going to enjoy it, right? And then we go on it, and it's different. And so for them, they had these expectations of what it meant for a Savior to come. 
Because what they were seeing is this Savior was going to save them for all these externals, was going to save them from government, was going to save them from rules, was going to save them from oppression, and was going to give them the freedom that not even them as a nation wanted, but really each individual. What would make them feel better and feel more comfortable and free? And, uh, but that is not what Jesus did. But there was this expectation. So asking ourselves, what expectations do we have for Jesus coming in our here and now into our current circumstances and whose kingdom do they build? So we're going to read four portions of scripture. And then we're gonna, I'm going to highlight two to three elements out of the devotional that, kinda, that I see relating to that scripture. All while thinking of this question. So keep this question in your mind. Here's the good news and the bad news. We're going to start with the good news. Or the, uh, yeah, the good news. Um, this is out of the, the devotional. This season, in the midst of all the celebrations, gift-giving, be careful to remember that at the center of what we celebrate is one game-changing, life-altering, hope-giving reality. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. Now, we can celebrate that. We can have our little manger scene in our house with all our other Christmas decorations. But, you know, it's not just about what we put on a wall, what we decorate in a room. It's about our heart, and it's about our mind. Is it, are we actually celebrating that? Are we dwelling on that? You know, on our, in our family, on our birthdays, we celebrate the fact that we just lived another year and we were able to, to be with each other as a family one more year. And what a joy it was to have this family member as part of our family. We celebrate with that in our mind. The Advent story is a hope story because it chronicles the coming to earth of the one who is hope. Jesus. It's a story of him coming to earth. Here's a little bit of what we would call the bad news. Sin is the bad news of the Christmas story. Jesus didn't come to earth to do a preaching tour. He didn't just come out with a book. He wrote the Bible, and he's out there. He's signing copies, just wanted to, you know, he's at all the bookstores. He's not there trying to, you know, get his podcast going. He's not there just to do massive crusades. Or hang out with us for a while. He came on a radical mission of moral rescue. It was a radical, intense mission that he had to come on moral rescue. He came to rescue us because he knew we couldn't rescue ourselves. So he came because each one of us needed a moral rescue. Now remember, the expectation of that time wasn't for them as a people. It was for that God would come rescue me from you. But that's not why Jesus came. He came to rescue me from me. And from what was inside of me, he had to come and do that. All right, starting here, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. This is out of the New American Standard. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. This is what life is like without the spirit of God inside of us which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, 
just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what is that verse? That verse is who you and I are without Christ in our life. Now, sometimes we can look at these words and we can say, well, you know, I, I don't have uh, witchcraft or I don't have this in my life. But, you know, it's like an idol. I can say, well, I don't worship idols. I don't have any stone statues. I haven't melted down my jewelry and formed some image that then I, I worship on a daily basis. But I have a lot of idols in my life. An idol is anything that we put above God. I have an idol in my life, and it's called the Colombian newspaper. I'm a junkie for local news. It's not very breaking. There's not a ton of it. It comes kind of slowly, but I love it. Problem is, I wake up in the morning, and what goes through my head is I should read a verse, and it's like, I just want to see, did something happen in the night that, you know, maybe I just need to be aware of in the city, and I look at the Colombian on my phone. That can be an idol when I put it before God. Why is it that I want to read that before I talk to Jesus? Before I align myself with him? So these are the things that are in our life. This is who you and I are without Christ transforming us. Here's a couple thoughts out of the devotional. They were expecting a savior to fight off oppression and deliver them from government regulation. Instead, they got a savior who came humbly and to serve. So he didn't come to do what they were expecting. There was no way, no other way, because our big problem in life is not familial or historical or societal or political or relational or ecclesiastical or financial. If you're like me, if you had just a tad bit more money, if your income went up 10%, 20%, it would affix a lot of your current problems. Anybody with me on that? Right? If, if politics would just shift a little bit more to the way I would do it if I was the one leading, my world would be a little better. If my family would just change their personalities a tad bit more to accommodate my preferences, my life would just be a little bit more comfortable. If I could just purchase a couple of these things, just not everything, but just these top 10 things that I have on my list right now, my life would flow a little bit better. My car would run a little bit better. I, I, could, I could have a little more structured time. But you know, even if those things took place, guess what? I have another list of 10. My income needs to go another 10 to 20%. I want my wife to change her personality even a little bit more. I want my kids to change their personality even a little bit more. We continue striving for those things, but that's not where the problem is. The biggest, darkest thing that all of us have to face and that somehow, some way influences everything we think, say, and do isn't outside us. It's inside us. Our biggest issues right now is not our government. Our biggest issues right now is not our finances. Our biggest issues right now is not our health. Our biggest issues right now aren't the relationships we have in our life. Our biggest issues right now aren't our families. My biggest issue is me. And when I allow my selfish ambitions to lead me, 
But if the greatest danger to all of us lives inside us and not outside us, then the radical intervention of the incarnation of Jesus is our only hope. That's the good news again. So there's an acknowledgement of who I am and in what I'm capable of and what life looks like when I'm building my own kingdom. But there's hope that Jesus Christ is the answer, that he came to intervene. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. He died for all. Who did he die for? He died for all. That's not just all of us in this room. It's all outside. It's everybody. He came to die for us. Why? So that those who live would no longer live for themselves. He came to change something inside of us, to shift the atmosphere inside of us. But that we would live for him who died and rose on our behalf. He did that for you and me. Because he cares so much. He knew what we were doing in our own lives and when we're left unto ourselves. But he came to intervene there. Here in the devotional it says, no human being has ever successfully escaped the draw of sin that Paul points to here. Sin draws us away from God's glory toward our glory. Where we're glorifying ourselves instead of glorifying God. Sin pulls us away from God's kingdom and produces in us an obsessive allegiance to our little kingdom of one. Sin makes us less concerned about what God wants and more concerned about what we want. Sin causes us to be more excited about our personal plans than we are about the things that God has planned for us. Sin makes us more focused on our feelings than we are about God's will. That's what that sin is. And remember, sin, a lot of times we can think of it as really dramatic because that way we don't seem so bad. So I think of sin as if I go break into your home and take something that is yours and it's not mine and I take it. I'm sinning if I slander you and gossip about you to someone else. I'm sinning if I cheat you out of something. I'm sinning if I physically go and harm you. But you know, sinning is when we miss the mark of who God called us to be. And he's called us to glorify him. So anything I do that shifts off of that target is a sin. Because it's a miss of who God has called me to be. God's response wasn't a thing. It wasn't the establishment of an institution. It wasn't a process of intervention. It wasn't some new divine program. In his infinite wisdom, God knew that the only thing that could rescue us from ourselves and repair the horrendous damage that sin had done to the world was not a thing at all. It was a person, his son, the Lord Jesus. So God knew the only thing, and that's what this season represents, was him saying, there's a problem. There's a really, really big problem, and it's you. It's me. But I'm going to come to the earth as Jesus. And I'm going to not come to beat you up. I'm not going to come to overthrow the externals. I'm going to come to change your life. I'm going to come to embrace who you are. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. 
but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided to you. We seek first the kingdom of God. Do I get up in the morning and first seek the kingdom of God? Or do I start building my own kingdom? Here in the devotional, he came not to build an earthly kingdom, but to serve, to suffer, and to die so that his kingdom would reign in the hearts of people. You know, that's not how we think. We think if we want to establish something, we build it. We, we begin to declare our vision and our values and, and we, we start campaigning for it and this and that. But God wasn't interested in some massive institution. He was interested in you and I in being in our heart, in changing us from the inside out because that's where really where it matters. You see, our problem is not just that we live in a broken world and that its brokenness enters our doors. Beneath that reality is a much deeper problem. We have a glory problem. We have preferred living to our, for ourselves over living for something and someone bigger than ourselves. In our marriages, in our parenting, in our work, in our friendships, and in our church, we have made life all about us. He asked this question, how much of your anger in the last two months had anything whatsoever to do with God's call, his kingdom, and his glory? You see, if we're honest, we're not angry because the people around us are breaking God's law. We are angry because we're breaking our law. They get in the way of what we want or what we think we need. You know, what's been interesting about this time we find ourselves in, the pandemic, the regulations that are out there, is man, it's created a lot of debate. It's created a whole bunch of stuff, especially for us in the United States where we, we have our rights. We have our freedoms that we deserve. And we're seeing some of those a little bit rattled. And we're kind of rising up and saying, no, I have a right to this. And well, even when it comes to the church, we'll, we'll use, you know, no, I'm standing up for God in his glory. I've had to ask myself, though, when I read this, when was the last time prior to this pandemic where my heart broke for other parts of the world where they can't sing? Where I cared about the fact that they can't gather? Where I cared that they can't even say the name of Jesus without getting in trouble? If my heart is truly for the glory of God and for his kingdom, then what is happening global is going to affect me. Versus do I only get passionate when it actually affects me? Does that make sense? So I have to ask myself, whose kingdom am I building? Whose glory am I going after? Is it my comfort, my emotions, my feelings, my desires? Or is the way I'm living it's the way you're living. Are we doing it for the glory of God and to see him in his kingdom move forward? Amen. Matthew 10, 39. The one who has found his life will lose it. This is my favorite verse. The one who has found his life will lose it. Some translations say the one who clings to his life. It's the one who tries to hold on tightly 
to what he has to say, in control, to, to, not, to, to not lose it. And, and man, I, I got to try to make sure it stays just like this and stays comfortable. And the one who has lost his life on my account will find it, the one who lets go. When we say, Lord, I'm yours. Use me the way you want to use me. God, I trust you. God, to you be the glory. Not for my comfort. God, for your glory. Here in the devotional, for a people born in sin and for a world damaged by sin, there simply could not be any other source of hope. There's no other source. Good education would not solve the problem. Benevolent government had no power to solve the problem. More and better laws couldn't penetrate the source of the problem. People couldn't help one another, and they surely couldn't help themselves. Because where's the problem? It's inside of me. You can change all the laws. We can have all the institutions. We can have all these different things. But the problem's in here. But again, there's good news. There's an acknowledgement of who I am, who we are, left unto ourselves. But the good news that in spite of that, Jesus is our hope. He comes and he has created a way for each one of us. People were not designed to live independently. They were not made to figure life out on their own. People were meant to live according to God's will and for his glory. That's what he made us for. When we go back to Genesis and we read the account of the creation and, and God's intent with, with mankind, it was about an intimate relationship. It was a closeness. But sin came in as there became selfishness. That's something we live with. So God created a way. That's what this whole Christmas thing is about. God saying, I'm going to come down as a humble servant to serve you because I want my kingdom to enter into who you are. I want, I want to reign. I want you to submit in your, your, uh, your kingdom, to, to, to open it up. It would be like a government saying to someone else, to another government, you know what? We're not doing this right. We need you to come. So we're saying, Lord, I want you to be the leader of my life. So the question to consider right now in our current lives, what expectations do we have for Jesus coming into our current circumstances and whose kingdom do those expectations build? Worship team, you guys can come up. So just think about that for a minute. You think of your prayer requests, your wish list, the things that you discuss with people, the way you interpret the news, your conversations about what's happening around the world and what's happening um, even here locally. What is our expectation of Jesus in the midst of that? Is it God? Come change me. Change the way I view things. Change my attitude. Change my response. Or is it God? Come, come change the temperature. I'm a little uncomfortable. It's a little hot. If you could just turn up the AC. Lord, it's a little chilly. If you could just turn up the heat a little bit. God, my bank account is a little low. If you could just 
raise it up a tad, I would be a little more comfortable. Or is our greatest prayer, Lord, I want to see you exalted. I want to see you glorified. God, help me to be an instrument to lift you up and to declare who you are. You know, maybe you're here, and this is something you've, you've never heard. The hope that is found in Jesus, that in spite of ourselves, he's come. You might be one of the kids in here, and you come with your parents, and you're sitting here patiently and quietly hoping that the guy on the stage quits talking so you can go home and have lunch. Yeah. I get you. I want to do it with you. But you know what? God wants to have a personal relationship with you. He didn't just come for a special few. He didn't just come for those who were really good or those who could achieve something. He came for each one of us. There is hope that is found in him. Here are three things that to me in the devotion for this week pointed to the gospel. So I want to encourage you today in a fresh way to accept the bad news of the Christmas story. Because if you do, the good news becomes all the more comforting and glorious. When we truly start to look at ourselves and who we are, we realize how much we need Christ. We realize what a special gift that is and what the hope is. This is where we are confronted and comforted by the glorious goodness of God in the radical humility of Jesus. Our God of infinite glory looked on glory thieves, not with jealous derision, but with redeeming love. He wanted to redeem us. That's why he did this. The last one here. Hope in the here and now and hope in the great forever that is to come rests on one set of shoulders. It rests on the almighty shoulders of Jesus, who is for you today, today for each one of us. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. If you don't know what way you should go, call on Christ. You don't got truth in your life. Go to him. If your life is lacking, and you just don't feel like you're alive, go to him. He offers you what you have no power to provide for yourself, restored relationship with God, a knowledge of what really is true, and life that will never end. We're going to go back in. I've asked them to sing the song, Oh Holy Night, again. And um, just in a response, you can sit, you can kneel, you can stand, walk around, I, do whatever you need to do. But this is a moment for you to truly reflect on who are you. When you're left to your own thoughts, your own desires, your own ambitions, the expectations you currently have for Christ that you think would make everything better for you, who are you? But in that, Reflect that in spite of some of those things, that we have a hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And he wants to come and become the king of our lives. And what a holy night 
that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would love you and I so much that in the midst of so much dysfunction, in the midst of so much uh, rebellion and walking away from it, and in the midst of even his own people, instead of worshiping him, worshiping more what he could provide for them, just as you and I do, that in the midst of that, he still said, I'm going to come humbly, and I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to love you. I'm going to suffer for you, and I'm going to pay your penalty so that you may live, so that you may have eternal life, so that you may know the way. What a holy night that is. Lord, I just thank you. that you remind us of who you are. God, you remind us in you who we are. God, I just ask that in this time and this month, as each one of us has different traditions, maybe we were raised in or new traditions we're trying to create in our own families or in our own friendships. Each one of us probably has things we're looking forward to and things that maybe we're, we're dreading things that we're excited about, areas where we can testify to your goodness and areas that are on the prayer request list of needs that, that where we need intervention, that in the midst of all of that, help us to remember to reflect on you in the amazing gift that you are, that even if those things don't change in our life, you are still good. God, that what you already did was, is already enough. Lord, I ask that we as a family, we as a community, would be about your kingdom and about bringing you glory. We would put our focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen.